This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today, my guest is Rochelle Parham. She's the author of Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. As we were starting to talk about, uh, one of the recent episodes I did was about a pumpkin I picked out, and if the pumpkin were able to compare itself to the other pumpkins, it would feel uh, out of place and uglier Mm -hmm. and not quite fitting in. And I was reading Rochelle's book as I was picking out pumpkins, and it made me... um, go in that direction of comparison, something that we all do in one form or another, whether it's based on our looks or our brains or our socioeconomic status or something like that. Most of us, um, I would say all of us, probably compare ourselves. And I think it's rooted in, um, it's a a strength possibly uh, turned on itself can become a weakness because I think we are meant to Um, as social mammals, we're meant to bond and see what's the same about us. And we're meant to help each other, but then it can turn toxic where we use that to sort of hate ourselves. And, um, in your book, you say that you're no stranger to hearing the words, don't be so hard on yourself. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of what you went through as a kid and starting to compare yourself? Sure. Um, I loved your episode about your favorite little pumpkin so much, Lisa, because you, one of the things you said was if that pumpkin had a human brain, it uh, might well have thought, oh, I'm so inferior to the other pumpkins. And um, definitely <laughs> my human brain <laughs> uh, allowed me to compare myself to other people. And um, only much later in my life did I did I find out that this issue of mine is is actually rooted. It sounds it sounds so trite to say it's rooted in my childhood, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a birth defect that sort of trained me to to take note of all the ways that I was different or the ways I didn't fit in, and um, the way I handled that was just always looking at other people using them as measuring sticks to see if I could come up to the standard that I saw that they set. And um, I not only did it individually, but I did it collectively too. So Mm -hmm. I would, I would compare myself to different people. I would choose various good attributes Mm -hmm. (laughs) of various people and um, think that I should measure up to all their good attributes. And Mm -hmm. I, um, kind of used sort of a a conglomeration of lots of good attributes as a way to judge myself Mm. and um, didn't realize the perfectionism Mm -hmm. that had crept in, didn't realize that I was holding myself to a standard that no one else held me to, certainly not God, not my husband, not my children. (laughs) No one held me to that standard, only I. And um, makes me chuckle now to think about the fact that I actually had a uh, a teacher once who gave me a gift Bible and in a note inside the Bible, she wrote, you know, some really kind words and into the note 
with saying, don't be so hard on yourself. (laughs) But honestly, I thought we were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought maybe everybody else was not being hard enough on themselves. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm sure I was delightful to be around. Uh, yeah, and just aren't we supposed to push ourselves and try to exactly you know, root out every Always striving for excellence, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Later in my life, I realized that the word striving and the word strife have the same root, <laughs> and I think it's real easy to to kind of fall from one into the other. Yeah, I, that's that's a really interesting point. I, I think too, as I I saw some of myself. As, as I think most people will when they read your book, you'll, they'll see some of themselves in it. I think you had, um, to the degree that you were really tormented by your, your thoughts and your comparing, it was at a, a real extreme level because you were, um, I, it seems like, turned on yourself, you know, as, as a, mm-hmm. would you say it was self-hatred then? And sh- you say shame. Um, definitely shame. Uh, I think there were probably a few times that I lapsed into Mm self-hatred. Probably the only thing that kept me from going full on self-hatred is because I would have been scared to do that (laughs) because I, 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 um, I did. I mean, through it all, I I had a faith in God. Mm -hmm. I had some really wrong ideas about God, but, um, you know, I, I knew that, God was loving and and I I knew that that God, you know, was the ruler of all mm-hmm. and I think that stopped me short of real self-hatred. Mm. Just strong self-dislike, yeah, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um what were some of your wrong ideas about God? Oh boy. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I if you had asked me, mm-hmm. do you think you have any wrong ideas about God? I would have said, "Are you kidding me?" Mm-hmm. I mean, People say, so did you grow up in church? And I mean, I grew up practically in the church building. (laughs) We were there at least three times a week, Uh sometimes four or five. Um, I was like a star Sunday school student. Uh (laughs) I I, I went to um, youth group. I went to church camp. I worked at church camp. Mm -hmm. I went to a Christian college. I mean, you know, I was just inundated Mm -hmm. with... um, teaching about God and teaching about the Bible. And I just didn't realize that some of the things I believed about God were things that I had come up on my own from taking my own insecurities, really, and projecting them onto other people and onto God. Who is it that said that God created man in his own image and man has been returning the favor ever since? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 so I turned God mm. into someone who was hard on me and someone who was, um, if not um, condemning of me, at least always disappointed in me. Mm. So I viewed God as as um, the giver of rules. Mm. I viewed him as the giver of life, but I also viewed him as the giver of rules. And I knew that I broke the rules. Mm. And so I figured that, that you know, God obviously loves us, but I had trouble realizing that God loved me. I I sort of Mm. thought of God as tolerating me Mm. and perpetually disappointed in me. So those are some. (laughs) Well, it it makes sense. um, It kind of coalesced into a worldview. I I know that um, I know the feeling of 
of sensing that, well, God loved humanity. I was, I was caught it, but in that maybe God loves me in a certain way, but maybe God doesn't like me, or is maybe kind exactly. of shaking the head like, oh, I wish she would pull her act together. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, I, yeah. I know I've got, I'm, I'm bound to like her because she was, <laughs> she's one of them, but boy, I wish she would get it together. I really, that, that was kind of my, now I never would have vocalized that mm-hmm. Lisa. Right. I, um, but I never, I never delved into those false narratives mm-hmm. for the longest time. I just, I didn't realize that, that I had these, um, I, I call them myths about God. Yeah. Um, just, it never, it never crossed my mind that maybe I was not seeing God well. Um, it's not that God is any different based on what I believe. It was the impact that it had on me, you know? Yeah. And um, correcting those false narratives was a huge step in um, in my healing and being able to finally find some freedom from this constant dogged comparison. Yeah, one of the things that is close to both of our hearts is spiritual formation, and you are um, involved with, on the board of directors with uh, Renovare. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. And well done. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to mess that one up. Um, and you wrote, also you wrote a spiritual formation primer. And the thing about spiritual formation, we're always being formed spiritually, but sometimes we're being malformed. And, That's right. And if we, um, to, to have our minds, minds and hearts, you know, our insides renewed from really the core outward. And that's really that's what right. changes us, um, even though we think... Jesus loves you, you know, sometimes we don't say Jesus loves me, where we know it really, really deep down. And that takes a real healing process. And I'm sure this is all part of a, you know, years long process that involves spiritual formation. But what do you sense happened inside that made that spiritual transformation into understanding more of God's love? How, like, did you have a series of insightful moments where it sort of became yours to embrace? Yes, but you're right that it took, it did take years. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the things that I have come to, um, how shall I say this? I, one thing I don't appreciate is the fact that sometimes um, various obstacles to embracing God's love that people might encounter mm-hmm. are um, sometimes the prescription written by well-meaning people, I'm sure, is sort of, oh, you know, three steps to mm. success or, <laughs> you know, 28 days and you'll be free or mm-hmm. whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i sure their intentions are good, but I, I find myself a lot of times shaking my head and thinking, that's just not helpful. Mm. Um, and perhaps it helps some people. I hope it does, but for someone like me, it's not helpful. This was a years long process. Mm -hmm. And, um, I realized after I started, um, reading some good books, that's where it started with Mm me. Um, in particular reading celebration of discipline by Richard Foster and the divine conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Those were the seminal Mm -hmm. works. And, as I began sort of soaking in some ideas, um, I realized that instead of going kind of from zero to 60, Mm. (laughs) that I actually needed to move from negative 60 Mm. to zero. 
and then start making progress. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that was really helpful for me was some some healing work. Mm -hmm. And and I um, am really deeply grateful for it. In particular, I have some friends who are gifted in what we usually will call healing prayer. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's hard to you know, it's hard to know how to categorize it, but mm-hmm. um, because all these things were rooted in my childhood, mm-hmm. I actually had some some memories that were kind of tormenting me. Mm-hmm. And um, one one of the things that I came to realize is that um, feelings buried alive never die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had buried a lot of feelings alive. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've had people say to me, well, wait a minute, God doesn't reach into the past and change things. Um, Mm. But what I would say is that memories are not in the past. Memories are Mm. with us in the present. Yes. Yes. And um, so I had some, you can call it healing of the memories, I suppose. But um, really, it was just a healing of my thoughts that I needed some help from outside myself. Mm -hmm. So um, I needed a couple of kinds of help. Um, my situation was, you know, intricate enough that um, I needed some professional help. I actually needed the the services of a therapist. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, it took me a long time to be able to say that. I was so ashamed mm-hmm. to think that I would ever need that kind of help. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, I compared myself to other people and say, well, you know, if I had suffered that kind of trauma... Mm-hmm. then maybe I would get help. Or if mm-hmm. I were, you know, <laughs> and I compared myself to other people to see if it was okay for me to, mm-hmm. to get the help of a professional. So sad. Anyway, I finally, in a time of crisis, I did seek the help of a professional. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so grateful that I did because mm-hmm. she helped me to peel back the layers and to kind of bring some things to the surface that needed to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some friends of mine who were just really, really gifted in intercessory prayer, sat with me and let me go through these memories that mm. tormented me. Mm-hmm. And um, they prayed for me. And it you know, wasn't anything um, magical. It was, it was purely petitioning God on my behalf and asking Him to heal my heart and to show me that He had always been with me, mm. even in those difficult times. Mm-hmm. And um, the healing I, I experienced from that helped me, as I said, to get from negative 60 to zero. Mm. And then once I, once I was at ground level, <laughs> then I could begin to make some progress. Mm. Um, and I, I had some, had some great training through those books that I mentioned and through some wonderful teachers that I've had. And then just learning what Christians over the centuries have done mm-hmm. to draw nearer to God. Mm. Um, and for me, it really has been um, a series of just plodding practices that that bring me, you know, every day just into the presence of God in um, in my mind. I mean, God is always present with us, mm-hmm. but we're not always present with Him, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> sure. So um, just p- helping me to put myself in a place that God could continue to heal and God could continue to change me. Mm. Um, and, that you know, it's not really rocket science, mm. but it is a, a process where God takes us by the hand and just leads us. Mm. And 
the way in which he leads us is into the the life that Jesus promised and made available to us. Mm. And that is not the life of um, isolation, exhaustion that Mm. comparison brings. Mm, That's so powerful. I just wanted to underscore a couple things you said, because I think it's it's getting less... um, Thankfully, newer, gener- newer generations of people are, are saying things differently. I know um, <laughs> my grandparents would have probably never even considered uh, therapy or psychology that would have thought right. it was w- right. ridiculous. Then my mom might like whisper it, someone's getting therapy. Right. Um, and then... Um, <laughs> And then people in, in my generation are like, oh, you know what? This really great thing happened to therapy. I should tell you about it. It was done. Right. You know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then yeah. I think most people have to get therapy because their parents didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you don't even have to have anything major going on, but sometimes just have um, what I appreciate about, well, really is spiritual direction. And I've had therapy, but spiritual direction is nice just as an ongoing person who is not a family member super involved in my life might not know everyone and can just hold space um, for the things that um, that you want to discuss but also the, the so hold space for the Holy Spirit to come in and heal and just create presence where there's an awareness of presence of God exactly exactly just like you're saying of course God's there but we feel so alone and overwhelmed or despairing even when we don't sense God's presence. And and we might go through a period of time for months where we might not sense God's presence. But mm-hmm. with a spiritual director or soul friend or a therapist, somebody helping us uh, walk along the journey, it's... Um, it doesn't. It's not a thing of weakness. It's just. Um, no, it's just no. like if you have a wound that you can't reach to clean out and, and bandage. There's That's nothing. Right. There's nothing wrong with saying I, I have a bandage here that needs some dressing. Could, you know, I, I need assistance, and then someone will say, "Well, sure." And if I have a an area like a cut on my back that needs dressing, you help me, and of course. <laughs> you know. Absolutely right, and and we can become these. Um, friends, that, that you, you used a great word, um, a spiritual, a soul friend or a spiritual companion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be um, a professional, although a professional spiritual director is a gift. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we can be companions to one another if we can learn to hold space with one another. Mm-hmm. And if we can learn to allow each other to be mm-hmm who we are and where we are. Right. Um, when we end up projecting our expectations onto other people, then um, you know, th- we can run into problems. But I, I really believe that one of the reasons that, that God is so interested in our being healed from the things that dog us mm-hmm. is because as we as we seek healing and as we get healed, we become more and more safe for one another. Mm. We, we are able to be in relationship with others mm-hmm. in a way that is giving and good and affirming and life-giving. And then um, if there ever is the need to... Um, you know, to correct gently, we're able to do that if we've established that foundation of trust. I, mm-hmm. I have a few friends who at various times have had to correct me, and they've done it so gently, but before they got to that point, 
they had demonstrated to me that they were for me mm-hmm. and that they loved God and they loved me, mm-hmm. that they weren't going anywhere, that my mm-hmm. troubles didn't didn't threaten anything about the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so they could help me. Mm-hmm. And I just I love this because it's what we see, you know, in, in Paul's writings, bear one another's burdens and so mm-hmm. fulfill the law of Christ. This is the law of Christ that we that we reflect the life that Jesus and that the Father and the Holy Spirit have, the life they have together, we were meant to reflect. Mm-hmm. And we bear one another's burdens. We exist in this same kind of other-centered love. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing, but it's something you have to work at. <laughs> it's true. And and I think we're used to, especially, I'm you know the oldest of three, and I've been used to being the bossy one mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. And it's been a hard thing, uh, but a very important thing to learn how to hold space and listen instead of advise. Or I have a great mm-hmm. tip for you. Or read this book instead. Right. Of, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a time when when you see that somebody's maybe headed off a cliff to say, you know, I hope that you don't do this, or maybe ask a question to to call to call into question what their thoughts and and what they might be doing. But it mostly is, uh, as we get into that advisory role, people shut down and and the trust can be really quickly eroded. Um, That's right. And I love your your questions at the end of each chapter, create a pause for the reader to unravel some of these toxic thought patterns or judgmental thoughts. And because without knowing it, our our self-focus can become hateful or insular where we don't even realize what we're doing but that pause mm-hmm. the pause in in the in the reading the book but also the pause that can be created by spiritual friendships where someone mm-hmm. just asks a question that's not a pointed question like have you thought of going to your therapist today but like the uh, <laughs> the question of uh, do those shameful feelings feel familiar or um, what are some of the things you've thought about doing in response to how you're feeling like some of the questions you have in your book, you could ask one of your friends if you did the book together, or read through it together or something. It's it's that pause for reflection that yanks us out of these mental toxic cycles, these obsessing thoughts about I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very, that's really what can spiritually form us into heal, healing those wounds and moving on to into better territory. I'm so glad. I'm really glad to hear that because I'll I'll, I'll tell you a little behind the scenes. Um, writing those reflection and discussion questions mm-hmm. is for me the hardest thing to do. Mm. Um, I I I I'm not sure why. Mm. I just struggle to to write those kinds of exercises. Mm. So to know that you think that they would be helpful oh, yeah. makes me just heart glad. And <laughs> I am hoping that people will yeah. go through it. To, together mm-hmm. um, and, you know, find some people that, that they trust and are willing to walk honestly mm-hmm. through it and um, help one another. I, that, you know, um, I guess, I mean, what am I saying? Any author hopes that people, <laughs> oh, yes, please choose this for your book club. <laughs> but but I, I really mean it, whether it's a group of two people or 20 people, mm-hmm. I love the idea that people could work through it and... Um, you know, I have some friends with whom we we say that our our rule together for life together mm-hmm. is that we give encouragement as often as possible, mm. um, at advice once in a while, mm. rebuke 
only if absolutely necessary. Mm. And condemnation, never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that has really, really helped us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, perhaps rebuke is necessary mm-hmm. every now and then. And sure, advice once in a great while. Mm-hmm. But encouragement, oh, mm-hmm. as often as possible. Yeah. And uh, let me encourage you here. I would say that you've you've done a good job as an oldest child at learning to hold space. It seems like that's what you do on your podcast, both <laughs> with your listeners and with your guests. So well done, you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, when you're talking about perfectionism, and I've, I've gone through a stint of this myself, kind of the self-loathing period of my life in, in different regards, a uh, similar kind of um, Christian background, my, being a mm-hmm. pastor's kid and stuff. And I think, you know, what happens is, at least I'm speaking for myself, having perfectionist tendencies, uh, you get judgmental of yourself, of course, and mm-hmm. then it all often, or at least almost always bounces over to other people like, well, why can't they do this better? Oh, or why, you know, it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. stay with just you. Mm-hmm. The perfectionism bounces out. As perfectionists, we get... You know, hold people to the standard that we hold ourselves and so on. And so this erodes trust, obviously. So absolutely. In your own life, how did you become a safer person, being a perfectionist and moving away from that for yourself? How did you develop some of those traits that would make you a safer person? Well, it it really did begin. I mean, you have to way scroll back for me because I, um, I think I tell the story in the book that I did not consider myself a perfectionist and, and I, I just didn't have that self-knowledge. Um, and, and then I, <laughs> so funny, I was actually talking with my sister-in-law who, who is um, a wonderful person, a fantastic Christian woman and very practical. And uh, of course she knew I was a perfectionist, but she had never pointed it out to me because she's very kind and gracious. And I read an article about perfectionism Mm -hmm. and there was a list, you know, sort of a, you might have these traits and this is how you can tell if you're a perfectionist. And there were 10 traits and I didn't have all of them. I only had like seven out, eight out of 10. And so I thought, well, I must not be a perfectionist. I've only have 80%. Because you weren't perfect at being a perfectionist. (laughs) Because I wasn't perfectly. (laughs) And she was the one who gently pointed out to me that that was probably a really good indication that I was a perfectionist. Mm. So I had to learn it about myself first, and, and that took some real doing. And then I began um, with with the help of the therapist that I needed and with the help of my husband and the help of a couple of friends, I began to realize that I was projecting expectations onto others. I was projecting doubts onto others because mm. um, I would never, ever have done it intentionally. Mm-hmm. So um, my husband actually, God bless him, at one point he pointed out to me that intentions are so important. Mm. And, he, and he finally was able to say to me, I know you didn't intend this, but understand if you were to hit me with a bat, you might not intend to break my arm. Mm-hmm. But if you do, I end up with a broken arm. I'm still having to deal with the consequences, even if you didn't intend it. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and I can't remember if that was the example you used. Maybe it was if you were to run over my foot. You didn't intend to do it, but I still have a broken foot. Whatever mm-hmm. it was, I realized that, yes, I'm responsible for my intentions, and I knew that was true. But I'm also responsible for the um, consequences of my actions mm-hmm. upon other people. So I had to learn, for instance, to apologize Mm. because there were interactions in which I realized that the way I was acting, although it was out of ignorance, it still had harmed people. Mm -hmm. And um, there were, I mean, things that I said, particularly things that I said, because I've always been able to use words. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were things that that I said that were hurtful that I had to um, realize the hurt and I had to move past the level of just feeling ashamed about it Mm -hmm. and um, work with God's help to be able to approach someone else and say, I'm struggling because I'm so ashamed about this, Mm -hmm. but I know that this affected you. And my being ashamed is not helping. Mm. I I need to apologize and I need to talk to you about this. And then I need your help to make sure that I don't keep doing this. Mm. So enlisting the help of others to um, interrupt habit patterns, mm. I think, is really, really important. And and I'll say far and away, I'm, I'm very blessed that far and away the person who has helped me the most with that has been, been my husband. I mean, it, God bless him. (laughs) He's the one in the trenches, right? But, um, he is someone who is generally pretty self-aware and, um, he's also just has a very gentle spirit about him. And so, um, he's helped me a lot, but then I have a couple of other just really close soul friends who are able to, you know, help me to see, when I'm falling back into an old habit pattern. And as I begin replacing those old habits with healthier habits, then I can do the same thing for someone else, Mm. you know, um, to be able to gently say, Oh, you're, you're, you're criticizing yourself again. Mm. And you know, that's not the way I see you Mm. or, I'm not sure you see yourself for the beautiful soul that you are. I'm able then to say those Mm. things to some other people because I've had them said to me. Mm. But it's it's not a straight shot by any means for at least in my experience. It's it's definitely um, uphill and down dale. And, you know, you you have to dig through the trenches and not just get some dirt on your hands, but you, there are times you're going to be covered in mud. Um, but then you, you always have the chance, you know, Lamentations talks about how, how God's mercies are new every morning. Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot because that's exactly when I need them every morning. (laughs) So every morning it's, a uh, uh, remembering that, um, that God loves me and that, that there's, no way to be separated from his love. Mm. And I can rest in the assurance of that. And, and because of that, I can afford to be honest and helpful. I don't have to constantly be competing or Mm. trying to secure a spot for myself. I'm, I'm seated with Christ. Mm. 
as the scriptures say. And, you know, there's, there's just plenty of room at the table. On page 73, you talk about you can bless and not impress. And I, I really mm. like that. That kind of goes with what you're saying now and about you talk about mutual blessing because mm-hmm. blessing isn't sourced in us. We have the power to bless because really we're working as vehicles of blessing because that's sourced in God. And this is the, the thing that I think um, we we forget sometimes. We think if we feel ashamed, and this, this works into confession, which I want to dig into a bit with you because I really appreciated your, your thoughts on um confession of sin but confession of truth and mm. how we we have to um, use confession to come back to reality mm-hmm. um, and and there's something very um, that's very healing too and very holistic about get, getting our lives aligned uh, properly will make us healed and safer to be around safer to be around mm-hmm. ourselves <laughs> right for us exactly. to be around ourselves yeah. <laughs> um, but but this idea that um, and my my daughter, uh, even as a little kid, really little, she's very bright. Uh, but I remember she went through a period. She was two, three, four years old, and she, when she knew she did something wrong, she would never apologize. She just, she, I, and now I realize is that she felt ashamed because okay. she knew she did something, and she was just like, no way. She wanted to hide it. She right. wanted to it to go away, but she did not want to come to terms with the reality of doing something wrong. And I much later had a talk with her um, about a book that changed kind of changed everything for me which is now um, part of the (laughs) part of our landscape with Brene Brown's work and how she talks about the difference between guilt and shame and you probably know this too um, where we should feel guilty because mm-hmm. that, that makes us not psychopaths. And right. we, should, <laughs> we should feel guilty when we do uh, make a mistake, even if it's unintentional. We should say, ooh, ooh, I, I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to make mm-hmm. it right. I made a mistake. I can confess that. I can say, well, even if we meant to do it, we could say, I shouldn't have done that. I, I made a mistake and I did something wrong and I'm, I'm letting you know that I'm taking responsibility. I'm going to try not to do that again. But mm-hmm. shame is where you think, I'm not enough. I I am wrong. I right, I'm right. wrong from the core up, and I feel totally dirt. And I don't even feel like I can say I'm sorry because I'm so feel so worthless right now. Right, right, yeah. Shame brings feelings of worthlessness, and um, it's one of the ways that we can know that shame is not from God. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is a great tool of the enemy of our souls. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's not. It isn't helpful. Mm-hmm. It. Um, I'll tell you, it is useful. Very often it is useful for controlling people, mm. right? People can use shame as a tool for keeping others in control. Um, but it is, it's, it's a bad tool. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good tool. But guilt, sure. I mean, um, when, we, when we do sin or when we do make mistakes, um, and not all mistakes are sinful, certainly, you know, but sure, we can we can feel guilty that we messed up, and we can own up to that, and that is a good and healthy thing to do. Um, but I do sometimes think that within within the Christian community, sometimes we, we get a little messed up about what confession mm-hmm. is, to think that it is only owning up to our sins, as if sin were all we were, you know, um, we are all sinful, um, people, but sin is not the totality of our beings. And, and sin's not even the most important thing about us. 
the most important thing about us is that we're children of God, right? right? And and um, and brothers and sisters to one another. And 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 sin is sin a problem? Of course it is. But sin does not. I don't think it's a good idea. Um, for thoughts of sin to be the one thing that defines our reality. Mm. Um, we need to deal with sin. But um, I, it has been very important to me, as you said, to learn to confess the the truth of, well, just the truth about God mm. and the, the truth about other people and the truth about myself, the truth of my belovedness. Mm. I, um, I love the fact that the word confess um, it, you know, it's a, a fairly modern English word, um, but which is translated from Latin and French, old French. But the Greek word root of it, um, or the the Greek term that we translate confess is um, my Greek is not good, but it, it comes from two roots, homo logeo, which um, you can recognize same word. And so confession is, I think, the best way to think of it is just agreeing with God about what is true. Mm. Does that include the fact that my uh, the fact of my sin? Yes, it does. He knows the truth about my sin. So I agree with him and say, yes, God, I, I see that I sinned. And you know that. And now I'm agreeing with you and I'm saying it. Mm. I'm confessing it to you and I'm confessing it to others and being absolved of it. Mm. But then that's not the only thing that's true. And so to agree with God about what is true would also, for instance, um, mean that we agree that we are God's beloved. Mm. Or One of my favorites is a statement written by my friend Jim Smith, which is that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Mm. That's a confession. Mm-hmm. That is a statement of truth. Mm-hmm. And the first time I said it, I felt like such a fraud. Mm. I even felt vaguely blasphemous. Wow. Like, I, I can't say that. That That's not, you know, surely that can't be true. Huh. And yet it is true. Huh. It is true. It's the, it's the truth that we read in Scripture. It is the, the truth that the Spirit attests to in our lives. And to say it to one another mm. is powerful. You know, confession is a, um, it's a community discipline, a corporate discipline. And it's important because I use my mouth to say it. Mm. But when I say it out loud, I also am using my ears to hear it. And then the person who hears my confession is able to respond to it. And so I hear that. And suddenly this truth is not just drifting around in my head. It's being worked down into my body. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we get our bodies involved is when things really start to, to take root mm-hmm. and to, to make some difference in our lives. Yeah, so, the integration starts. The integration. Yeah, and as you, you know, the, the Bible talks about the truth setting you free um, right. That's exactly what's happening, and life is coming back into a place mm-hmm. that there wasn't life. Um, with with the idea of confessing uh, sin or blessing, belovedness is just saying what reality is. And we don't make a confession to God to tell God what's going on. We do it so we know what's going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we, we can trust that he is pretty well informed. <laughs> but it's interesting how we think... We're hiding it from ourselves only. 
Right. You know, um, but right. but yet yeah. we'll, we'll kind of believe that. We'll be like, yeah, nobody knows. Nobody. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and we must keep it that way. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was actually from page 89, uh, which is talking about confession. And I, I um, think that's an excellent point to underscore because we often think of confessing as this, oh, I've kept to confess my sins. And yeah, we do need to confess the truth of whatever it is we're doing that is not going to help us or bring us into closer intimacy with God or others. But of course, we have to confess all that's true, all of reality that's true, that we are beloved. And one of my favorite parts is is, um, something people who already know about Henri Nouwen on page Mm -hmm. 91 is a really beautiful, uh, helpful confession that you have down here, Mm -hmm. too. And he says, um, I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what others think of me. I am the beloved child of a loving creator. And Mm -hmm. that is uh, something he had to confess and tell himself over and over because he didn't believe Mm it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, uh, some people might have no problem with that. They might think, yeah, sure, I'm a beloved child of God. But some people, including me, uh, don't feel necessarily connected or beloved. Uh, We might think that applies to other people or we might, you know, um, feel just disconnected and um, that something happened along the way that made us feel isolated or that we have to strive for God's right. grace or his love right. or his just the acceptance. And when you actually align those things, those truths and those confessions and mm-hmm. feel that embrace, like, oh, actually, it's okay. It's everything right. is okay. Suddenly, yep. there's a shift. That's right. I think there is a shift. And I would I would say that, that this is something that bears thinking about because in, in order to be valid and therefore effective, it does need to be a statement of truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, a lot of what I have seen, observed lately, is um, people adopting statements about themselves, which can be such a good thing. But it could be a statement like, oh, I am absolutely perfect just as I am. Mm. And the idea is, you know, we must get to a place of self-acceptance. Well, you know what, Lisa? I am not absolutely perfect just as I am. That is not a true statement. But... I am the beloved child of a loving creator. Oh, now that's true. That's true. So I, I think it, it it's worth thinking about what can I say about myself that does, alignment is a great word. I'm glad you said that. That does bring me into the alignment of the truth, not something that is, you know, is actually a false statement. That's just going to take me down another rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And and now one's confession, the reason I love it is because it kind of gets it. It sort of scratches all the itches, the ways that we tend to compare ourselves yeah. with others. You know, we might compare our we might compare our persons, our you know, our appearance. We might compare our possessions. We might compare our positions. Mm-hmm. And none of that, none of that matters if we're in alignment that we we're not what we do, we're not what we have, we're not what others think of us, mm-hmm. but we are beloved children. That's, this is a true thing. And it's it's up to us to do what we need to do, whatever steps we need to take to get that down into our bodies. Because mm-hmm. we know it in our heads, maybe, but we don't necessarily know it in our bodies. <laughs> yeah, and I don't oh. even know that it can translate into consistent action 
toward others and with others unless mm -hmm. we fully can somehow in real ways integrate it with our own lives. Right. Uh, because it's so inconsistent in our own lives, it, it applies inconsistently to other people too. Right. I wanted to talk a little bit about your, on page 108, you talk about going from comparison to contentment and you know having new habits and how it works for you now there, there's still temptations to compare and how do you stay aware in the moment so that you don't fall back into old ways and old habits of thinking yeah i think it's important for me to say um that this was not a book written from the mountaintop let me just tell <laughs> you um and i um this is this has been a lifelong struggle and i'm i'm still every single day am tempted to compare. Mm -hmm. um, I have had to put in place some new habits so that, that I, um, you know, because the, because the comparison is so habitual, I've had mm. to put in place new habits instead. So for instance, just to name one of them, the actual praying the Lord's prayer as a prayer mm. on um, a daily and sometimes hourly basis, mm -hmm. Um, because I want God's will to be done in my life, and God's will is not for me to be stuck in insecurity and comparison. Mm. Um, but I, I, there are some things that I have to do actually in the moment because I realize I, that I've sunk back into it, mm. you know. Um, so, so I would will not say that that I am no longer, um, you know what's the word susceptible i certainly am still susceptible but as i begin to appreciate um all that i do have and all the blessings that god has given me and i have to stop looking at other people's blessings mm -hmm. in order to recognize my own right but also to look honestly at the trials I have, at the difficulties, to own it all as a, as a package that is particular to me. And I, I have had to make peace with the fact that, every, that all the things about me, including the things that I don't like, or the things that to me seem like they don't quite come up to snuff, mm -hmm. that whole package is loved by God. Mm -hmm. That package is loved by my husband. Mm -hmm. That package is loved by my friends. It is what I have to offer. And I can finally now realize that, that it's, it's these very struggles that allow me to do some of the things I'm able to do. Mm -hmm. There are things that, that I now am able to offer the world that I have only because of my struggles. Mm -hmm. And if I'd never struggled with it, if I didn't still struggle with it, I, I certainly, you know, I probably wouldn't even be sympathetic, much less empathetic mm -hmm. to other people. But this whole package of me, the good, the bad, the ugly, has a place in God's great universe, mm -hmm. a place that, that can be filled by me and I count because I am part of this immense whole, mm -hmm. this wonderful community that God is establishing, this, this loving, this community of loving persons with Christ himself at the center. I'm part of it. There, there, there is a Rochelle-sized 
hole in the puzzle <laughs> and and I can offer my whole self. But that means offering the parts of me that if I let myself, the parts of me that I can wish I were like somebody else. Mm-hmm. But no, I am me. Do I try to get better? Of course I do. Um, but it's, it's the me who's not as good as she wishes she were at this, that, and the other thing. It, there's a place for me. There's a place for you. There's a place for all of us. And in our struggles, in, in admitting our struggles and in letting people know about our trials, and it's not in the trying to be perfect that we can relate to one another. It's the realizing that we're whole people and that God loves us and works with us and there's a place for us as whole people. What a relief, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What a relief. So, um, you know, it, one of the things I do in the book is just share some of the things that, that I do in the moment, you know, and sometimes it really is um, minute by minute, uh, not so much minute by minute, but, you know, day by day, I'll realize and sometimes I'll just have to say, there you go again. Whereas in the past, I would have said, you idiot, how can you do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, no, it's easy to slip back into the old habits. But, you know, every day, uh, just like the saint says, always we begin again, right? And we thank God for the for the grace to do so. We just begin again, um, resting in the assurance that God has lifted us through Jesus. He has lifted us into the Trinitarian life that is the basis of all reality. There is a place for all of us. As somebody who is learning and more and more like you are to be a friend to yourself, Mm -hmm. that that's okay to be a friend to yourself and to be kind to yourself instead of harsh, you know, um, that that actually makes me a kinder person to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of that's course. a great, it, it, it might sound really simple, but if you haven't ever been a friend to yourself um, or you're not used to it, <laughs> yeah. you don't realize how much you've held back from other people too. Um, you, I'd like you to maybe finish off by talking about fellowship because you talk about that on page 118 and what people think it means and what it actually means and why it's so important. Mm, yeah, well, I... I think that, um, you know, if I, in a word, if I had to say, so what's the cure for comparison? <laughs> I would, you know, you, can, you can't really say in a word, but if I had to choose one word, fellowship might be it, uh, the, I, you know, communion. Mm-hmm. Um, fellowship's such an old-fashioned word, right? Um, but to, to think that we are, are, all of us, all of us humans, are, are fellows, that is, we're, we're comrades, we are um, we are part of a community. And um, so fellowship is um, something that we all long for and that we are made for. We are made in the image of a God who is within himself a beautiful community of three persons. And he made us in his image. God, you know, we're, we're made in the image of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we're, we're made for, for relationship. Um, and fellowship is, 
is something that doesn't necessarily just happen to us. Now, every now and then you might find yourself just falling into a community of like-minded individuals, but usually you have to work at it. You know, I love that old song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. It says, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms, what a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Well, let me tell you, the fellowship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fellowship that they share, it is a joy divine. I mean, it's just, it is the joy divine. The rest of us have to work at it. <laughs> and so that means give and take. That means showing up as our whole authentic selves. That means sharing our sorrows. That means bearing one another's burdens. And um, sometimes we can find that. Lord, help us all be people who can find that in a church. I so hope that for people, that they're able to find a local body of believers who worship together and work together. Um, Sometimes people find it in a small group. Sometimes people find it in their family. A lot of times people have to initiate it and build it around themselves. Mm. But it is that sort of... um, being united around a common interest and a common cause. And the interest and cause, I would say, is the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We are united in that, and um, we want to share it with others because it's not something that was ever intended to be hoarded. It doesn't work that way. God is not like that. He is himself. You know, the Puritans used to say God in himself is a sweet society. Isn't that great? I love that. And he intended us for sweet society. So we work at it. You know, we bring our authentic selves. We bring the parts that are healed and the parts that aren't yet healed. We look for help. We offer help. Um, Again, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're meant to work together. So, Rochelle, are you going to offer any kind of like Facebook Live or any kind of book club thing where people can kind of meet with you and do anything together or any sorts of resources like that? Or Well, that would be fun, wouldn't it? What a good idea. Maybe I should hire you, Lisa, to help help project a way forward for me. You know, the writing the book for me was such a um, an arduous, long past um, task. Mm-hmm. I think there are probably some people who just thrive on writing Um for me, it's it's really hard slogging work. So I, I would love to do that. And I thought I wondered if people might be interested, for instance, in a Facebook group where we would just hang out together and and work together on this. Um, if people are interested in that, I, I think I would I would love to do that. Some things you can, you know, just talking with you about it. I mean, my word, Lisa, it feels like we've only been talking 10 minutes and I think it's closer to an hour. Right. Um, but I love talking about these things and, and the give and take of communication back and forth among all of us is, is precious. So I would love to do that. I mean, I, lo- I love keynote speaking and preaching, that kind of thing. But I also am hoping that we might be able to fashion some retreats mm-hmm. and things. And um, certainly I'm more than willing to work with people um, if, if folks have a particular need that I that I could feel, I would would love that. But I think getting people together <laughs> is really necessary for this. So um, 
Whether I'll do something like an online book club, I don't know, but I'd certainly be open to suggestions. <laughs> that would be good to get um, people listening to, to write to you or to go to your website and let you know what they'd like, what would help them. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, oh, yeah, yeah this, these things move forward as, as the need arises. So where could people right. find you best? Oh, well, people can find me on, on Facebook. Um, I'm Rochella Parsons Parham on Facebook, or um, there's a, a public Facebook page. It's just Rochella Parham blog. Um, but they can also find me on Instagram. I'm Rochella Parham. Um, I'm also Rochella Parham on Twitter, although I have to admit <laughs> I'm pretty bad at Twitter. So I need lots and lots of grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to send me a message on Twitter, but, um, you know, you might have to, <laughs> you may have to put it in all caps with punk with the exclamation points to make sure I <laughs> make sure I see it. I'm kind of slow. Um, but, um, also people are free to go to rochellajparham.com. There is a, there's a contact form there and I would love to hear from people. I have a, a blog that's been around for a long, long time. It's called Imparting Grace. That's impartinggrace.com, and folks can contact me there as well. So um, but would love to hear from people, any or all of those means. Great. So the book is called Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison. Thank you so much, Rochelle, for sharing your story, but also your vulnerability and just kind of taking this on because a lot of us feel – uh, vulnerable and uh, compare and it's led to maybe not certainly not the fullest life we can have in Christ and with each other so thank you so much thank you Lisa thanks so much for inviting me on your show I appreciate it If you've listened to the show and you've thought, wow, I wish I could find out a little bit more about someone mentioned or a book or a website, that's what show notes are for. Just go to patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. Patreon is like patron with an E. Patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>